Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you for your word to us this morning, that there is freedom for us. We thank you for the way, Holy Spirit, that you have led and guided our service thus far. Lord, we pray that you would continue to guide it, that there would be a Holy Spirit occurrence in this place whereby the words that are spoken today would reach hearts and minds for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest conundrums we as readers of the scripture have is the concept or the fact that Jesus only mentions the church two times. Think about that. Our whole life and faith in Christianity is based around this concept of church. Jesus only mentions it twice. You might not have known that fact, but this is all that Jesus mentions. It's just this two times. Now, why this is such a weird fun fact is this, because upon taking the reins of the ministry from Jesus, Jesus' disciples go out and found church after church after church after church. The disciples and their associates were church planters. Peter, Paul, James, John, Matthew, Luke, Mark, Barnabas, all planted churches. So how do they get from Jesus, who barely mentions the church to the concept of church. The minute they take the reins of God's kingdom, if you will, they begin to build churches full of people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Why is it that Jesus is nearly silent on the church, whereas the disciples make it central to their understanding of following him? Well, the easiest way for us to sort of get around this issue is that Jesus preached about the kingdom of heaven, all right? The kingdom of heaven. And the church is the place where those principles are played out. So that's how we've got around it mentally, right? Jesus only mentions the church twice, and and Jesus really is preaching about the kingdom of heaven and all of his moral teaching is about the kingdom of heaven. So we just naturally say the church is the place where the principles of the kingdom of heaven are played out. Principles like humility and servant leadership, proclamation of the gospel, exponential growth, extravagant grace. These are only concepts that can be carried out in the church community. But does that prove that Jesus intended it to be so? Just because we make the mental leap. Just because we can go, well, logically, did Jesus actually mean the disciples to go out and create this thing called the church upon his resurrection and ascension into heaven? Did Jesus intend for the church to come into being, or was it just the invention of his disciples? Well, I'm here to tell you today that there is proof that Jesus did intend for the church to be the place where the kingdom of heaven is played out, where the ethics and concerns of God are manifested on earth. There is a place, and we're about to read it, where the link between the kingdom and the church is clearly spelled out by Jesus. And here's the interesting thing for us, for you and I. If we take what Jesus said seriously in Matthew chapter 16 about the link between the church and the kingdom, that link has everything to do with how you conduct your life today. The link between the kingdom of heaven and the church before we leave today will make a demand on you. Let's read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and following. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the son of man, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's begin to break this down. I think you probably saw the link, didn't you, as we read that, but we're going to talk about the link in just a minute. First off, I just want to mention something today that has very little to do with this sermon, but has something to do with this passage. I am asked on a regular basis for people who are reading the Bible at home, why does Jesus always tell people to be quiet when they say that he's the Messiah? You've noticed this perhaps in the book of Mark or the book of Matthew. In fact, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Jesus tells them to be quiet because Jesus doesn't refer to himself as the Messiah. What is Jesus' self-designation? The Son of Man. He doesn't designate himself as the Messiah. He designates himself as the Son of Man. Now, the Messiah was a term that was wrapped up in Jewish hope for the Jewish nation to be restored and Jewish kingship to be restored. The Son of Man is a a statement that Jesus was making from Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And in essence, we're not going to turn there this morning, but Jesus is saying, oh, I am so much more than your temporal Messiah. Because the statement about the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 says he is going to be the eternal king of the world. That he is going to be the overall sovereign of all peoples, all nations, all languages, and that he has been sent by God to bring a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Now, it's interesting, Jesus says, well, if you say that I'm the Messiah, be quiet about that, because Jesus was not there to create an Israeli kingdom. Jesus was there to make the conditions right for the world to be redeemed in righteousness and justice. And so you wonder why Jesus says be quiet, because he didn't want them to try to make him their temporal king. He was trying to say something on a whole nother level, I am the one sent from God to make all things new. That's why Jesus is quiet on this statement of Messiah and is happier with this idea of the Son of Man. It's also why he's so pleased when Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because it's that proclamation that is incredibly important. It's not the Messiah part so much as it's the Son of the living God part. Now that living God is, is, a, is a word play, if you will, in the Aramaic because the fact that he put living in front of it really means he's saying, Jesus, you are the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. You are the Son of Yahweh God, the living God. You are the son of this guy in the sky, the eternal, awesome, almighty, powerful God, or as we call him today in our Americanized version of it, Jehovah God. You're the son of God. So Peter has has struck on something that's incredibly important. He has proclaimed who Jesus is, and he got it right. And Jesus is excited about this. He renames him in this moment. You're the, you're, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of heaven will not prevail against it. Why could he be so excited about Peter in that moment? Peter got the proclamation right, that he is the son of Yahweh, that he's the son of the eternal God. 
He's, he's pumped that, that somebody has finally seen that he's more than just a political leader that could perhaps drive out the Romans and establish a Jewish kingdom. He's pumped about that, but it's the link that's next that's so important for our study today. What is the link between the church and the kingdom? And it's found here at the end of 18 and 19. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And we often stop there because we're excited about Peter's proclamation, but we're going to go one step further this morning into 19 and read this. I will give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a lot of power. Now I just want to make this statement to you because it's going to blow your mind for a moment. That verse 19 is you singular, not you plural. He wasn't looking at all the disciples and going, all right, guys, here you go. I give you the keys to the kingdom. In the Greek, he would have had to use a very specific word for you as the group. Now we, if I look at you and say, oh, I'm pleased to get the opportunity to preach to you this morning. That's you plural in our language, isn't it? I'm happy that I can preach to you this morning. Or if I looked at Pastor Cindy and said, hey, how are you doing? That's you singular. In the Greek, what's going on here is you singular. He's looking at Peter, the guy who got the proclamation right, and saying, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, we get around this in the South. They just say y'all. If you get to y'all, you can get to you plural. But since that's not technically, well, anyhow, we won't even go there. So, you singular. He's looking at Peter, and he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Because Peter's got the proclamation right. He's got Christ in the right place. It's the only way that Peter has his authority is because he has Christ in the right place. Okay? Now, according to R.T. France, widely considered one of the greatest scholars who has ever lived on the book of Matthew, binding and loosing has a very specific meaning. And that binding and loosing is, is not something that we want to understand as strictly a supernatural exchange. Binding and loosing, when a rabbi spoke about it, had to do with having the ability to set the agenda and the rules. In essence, he's saying to Peter, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and you get to set the agenda and the rules. That's what it means in the rabbinical tradition. Jesus was a rabbi in terms of his relationship with the disciples. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You have proclaimed me to be the right guy. All right, so you get the opportunity now, you singular, to uh, set the agenda and the rules for my church. I give you the authority to do that. Now, we have a misnomer in our minds that the kingdom of heaven here that he's talking about is the keys to heaven and hell. Peter does not have the keys to heaven and hell. Who has the keys to heaven and hell? Jesus, right? So I'm not preaching this morning a Catholic gospel, all right? We're not talking about Peter as the first pope. We're not, I don't think Peter would have considered himself a pope, all right? Peter would have considered himself a man who learned humility, all right? But what I'm trying to say here is that Christ has given Peter an incredible amount of authority in this moment to set the agenda and the rules for the church, the place where, according to Matthew chapter 16, when we link 18 and 19, the church is the place where the kingdom and its prerogatives are played out on earth. So all the preaching that Jesus did about the kingdom throughout the scriptures, he's saying to Peter, all right, I give you the keys to what my agenda. I give you the keys to what I deem important. I give you the keys, Peter, to what, to what I have said, and you get to determine from that point forward the course and the agenda of the church. Now, you might say, that scares me to death. 
Well, God did it with Moses. Why would that scare you to death? Doesn't he do it with Moses? I, I, I mean, he does it with other people. He does it with Jacob. You okay with that? But for some reason, and probably because we have an anti-Catholic bias in what they did with Peter, calling him the first pope, and then saying that every pope after Peter holds the same authority, we as Protestants go, no! But we just have to read it like it's read here. I don't think that anybody after Peter gets this designation. There was not Pope Clement, who was the theoretical pope after Peter, that was standing there too going, yeah, Peter's right. Can I have some of that authority? Can I have it too? So I'm not preaching a Catholic gospel here this morning. I'm just saying that Peter was given the authority to set the agenda for the church, which was the concepts that Jesus had preached about the kingdom of heaven. And aren't you glad that Jesus did? We've been reading through Acts for weeks, haven't we, as we talked about the Spirit of God? It was Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel for the very first time. Think about that. He's the one who said, you know, this is not about us. This is not about what's what's going on with us. We're not a bunch of learned men. This is about the Spirit of God being poured out on us because we're trying to tell you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ has died for your salvation. And he's raised again for your justification. Who wants to be baptized and have new life? Peter stood up that day and preached the gospel. It was Peter that confirmed the Gentiles could be saved by the work of Christ. Did you read Acts chapter 10? It was Peter who was sent to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and saved that whole house and came back and says, you know what? God has moved through me by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The Gentiles can be saved. Aren't you glad we wouldn't be sitting here today if that had not happened? And it was Peter who was presiding in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council that said, guess what, Gentile Christians, you don't have to follow the Mosaic purity laws in order to be one of Christ. To be a Christian, you don't have to be a Jew. Aren't you glad? Unless you want to have a kosher kitchen today. (laughs) Peter sets the agenda and the prerogatives because Christ gave him the ability to set the agenda and the prerogatives of the church. And he did a pretty good job, I would say, of being the leader after Christ. Now, if that was the only time that Jesus had spoken about the church, we might just assume that Peter's the only one that we can look at for any source of authority as it, regard, as it is regarding the church. But there's one other place, and I want you to turn to it. It's one page over, probably in your scriptures, and it's Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15 and following. In a totally different context, Jesus speaks about the church. Only other time he does. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when the two of you are alone. And if a member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen to the church, let such as one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, oh boy, we just saw this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's one difference, and you can't see it in the English, between that verse and the verse we just read in 16. You want to guess what it is? It's it's plural. It's not you singular anymore. What is Christ saying? I'm giving the power of the church not only to Peter to be a leader here, but I'm giving the power to the assembly, the group that is the church. And the church has the, my authority as the son of the living God to set the agenda and the prerogatives of the kingdom of heaven. Do you see it? 
So he's, he's established the church in these two passages. He's saying, Peter, for a time, probably from 30 to about 65 AD, Peter, I'm going to need you to head this thing up because you really have put me in the right place. But when we move forward from that point and churches are founded, the assembly holds the power. The fact that the group can set the agenda is very important. And he pours that out specifically on his, on his 12 apostles here. But you can see how it plays out personally in the fact that there's not always going to be an apostle in the church, right? Apostles, people who actually saw, walked, and talked with Jesus. There's not always going to be an apostle in the church. So the church has the ability to set the rules and agenda as far as it goes with the kingdom of God. So in essence, Jesus is saying, you have the right to set the guidelines for my church. And at least from what we can see in Matthew chapter 18, that has a lot to do with living in humility and forgiveness. That we would live in humility and forgiveness. That we would be a group that, that loves and cares for and treats each other right. And the minute we don't love and care for and treat each other right, we can look at somebody who's outside of that spectrum and go, get out of here. We're the assembly of Jesus Christ. We don't treat one another that way. We don't act that way. Now, at this point, you have no idea where I'm going, do you? That's fine. This is, this is meant to be a little bit inductive this morning, not deductive. So where has all this led? Well, Jesus commissioned the church to be the place where the kingdom of God was played out. Jesus knew his mission went beyond his death and resurrection, and that is why he had brought his disciples around him. He spent three years teaching these guys his prerogatives, what he thought was important, his agenda. Jesus preaches on the kingdom over and over and over again to these guys so that years down the road, these guys can recite what Jesus said verbatim. This is what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus said about God's ethics. This is what Jesus said about what, how God wants us to live in community. This is what Jesus said about what we're supposed to be doing. And therefore, since we have the authority to establish the church according to Christ, we're going to establish it with those concepts in mind. You see, the disciples of Jesus proclaim the gospel. They lead as servants. They must stay humble. They must love the unlovable. They must treat all people with love and respect. They must move in the power of the Holy Spirit. They must look after one another's needs. They must look to be constantly growing as a community. They must stand in readiness for the kingdom of the Lord, or to go a little further, for the return of the Lord that cements his kingdom forever and ever. Those are all principles of the kingdom of God, and that's what these guys go out and establish the church on. The church is established on the words of Jesus Christ. We were talking about being set free this morning. If you were to turn to Matthew chapter 8, you don't need to do it right now. If you were to turn to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, you know, you want to be free in this life? You need to get into my word and you need to remain there. You need to remain in my word. Jesus was giving these guys the authority to establish his church why? Because they had been taught what was important to God. And they set the church up for at least 2,000 years, since we're 2,000 years out, to be interested in what God is saying to the world about his kingdom and what we should be doing. These three years allowed these guys to minister and follow Jesus so that when the time came to establish the church, not only did he give them the authority to do so, but they were going to do it right. And that's where the link comes to us today. 
because we have their words. That's what our New Testament is, are the words of these apostles and their associates. It's why we don't add to the Bible today, because the people who would write today have not walked and talked and been trained by Jesus as to what is important in the kingdom of heaven. So our authority today in the church, it stems from the fact that we have the words of the apostles, that we have the very words of Jesus himself to draw upon and to be the authority in our lives. There is a historical but also a spiritual link between the apostles and us today. Insofar as as the church continues in binding and loosing things regarding the cosmos, the, the, the idea of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as long as the church is interested in following the words of Jesus and the words of the kingdom of heaven, our authority of binding and loosing is still in effect. That's where we're going today. As long as we're still proclaiming the name of Jesus as long as we are still holding high the principles of the kingdom of God, the authority to set the agenda for the kingdom of God is still in the church. Still here today. Still within the people of God. My fear is, and the thing that, that I'm concerned about today, is that we look at the church as an entity with no authority. We look at the church as just another civic organization where we can better ourselves. Not as a source of Christ's authority. And you might say, well, okay, okay, the rubber's hitting the road here. Where are you going here? Are, are you trying to, to say that uh, I need to submit to pastoral leadership? I haven't jumped that far. Are you trying to say that I, I need to submit to our elders? I haven't jumped that far. I'm just asking a very simple question today. If Christ gave authority to the church to be the place where the principles of the kingdom were played out, does the church in any way feel like an authority in your life? Does the church in any way feel like an authority in your life? If Christ commissioned the church, and I think we just read it, if Christ commissioned the church to be the place where his authority is played out and where binding and loosing that has heavenly implications is played out, does the church feel at all to you like an authority in your life? Now, this is not preached out of a desire in any way to gain some type of control over you. I know the way Americans think. I, I think the same way. This is not a mechanism of control. Guess what? I'm not an apostle. Our elders, our senior pastor, not apostles. But what are we? What are we as a body? What are we as a body? We're the church. We're the place where the kingdom of heaven is played out, and we have the authority today of binding and loosing, of setting the agenda for the kingdom of heaven in this world. We have the authority today to set the agenda of the kingdom of heaven in Stowe, Ohio, and Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and Silver Lake, Ohio. 
We have God's authority today to bind and loose. Not the keys to heaven and hell. Those are Christ. But we have the authority to set the agenda for God's work in this area right now. We should be setting the agenda. Not responding to the agenda, but setting the agenda. But I don't think we can set the agenda unless we all look at this place. And I don't just mean victory life, but we all look at the church as the source of authority in our lives. We can't claim the authority of Christ unless we are submitted to the authority of Christ. Now, I don't have the time today to go as far, and I'm glad I get to come back next week. I don't have the time today to go far enough to say, well, what should that authority look like? If you'd like to stay till two, we can. Uh, Thank you for saying so. But we won't. But the concept here is very simple. If the church has the authority that Christ seems to have given the church, our lives should look different. We should be submitting ourselves to the agenda of the church so that the church can set the agenda for the world. And I'll, I'll just go one step further as, as a preview, if you will, of where we're going. Where does your relationship to the church stand in terms of the authority of the church? And this is the weakness today, I believe, of the church of Jesus Christ. We don't see the church as a source of authority in our lives. And we're not connected enough to the church to exercise the authority of the church in our lives. Do you see the difference? One is the concept of we don't see it as an authority, so why should anybody else? And two, we're not connected enough to set the agenda of binding and loosing because we're treating it as a civic organization rather than treating it as the place of God's power displayed on the earth. One last statement before we close today, and it is this. Jesus did not begin preaching and teaching until he went down to the River Jordan and was baptized by John. All four Gospels relate this story. And at that moment, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus to empower him for ministry. The disciples did not begin the church until they had waited and prayed And the Spirit of God descended on the disciples in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost and gave them the authority to do what they were about to do. And I encourage you today, if you think that this is just a theological heady message, it is not meant to be, because it plays into exactly where we've been, that our power today to continue to set the agenda for the kingdom of God is based in our connection to the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus did not advance the kingdom without the Holy Spirit of God speaking and leading and guiding him. His disciples did not begin the church without the Holy Spirit of God speaking and leading and guiding them. And we cannot continue to set the agenda for this world as it pertains to God's kingdom unless we have the Holy Spirit of God working and moving, living and breathing inside of us. There's a connection here. But we don't have till 2 o'clock. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that in this place, if there are people who are realizing just on the face of things, God, this concept is foreign to me. The church is not any type of authority in my life. It's just a place I go. 
And I have no concept of being part of an organization that sets the agenda for God's will on earth. I have no concept of that. That doesn't even make sense to me. Don't I just go to church to hear preaching? Lord, I pray if there are some realizations going on in our lives today that you would begin to stir our hearts, that we are not just powerless beings in this world, but we are the agents of the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, we have to place ourselves under your authority to be that. And we have to place ourselves in the guidance of your spirit to be that. And Lord, I know these are big concepts today, but Lord, you can take the big concept and make it personal in this moment. Lord, I pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit. Take the big concept and make it personal. Because Lord, we have work to do, and you've given us the authority to bind and loose the things of heaven in this world. Lord, help us to pursue that truth, even this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.